Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs in San Francisco. Ryan Buckley, you're in Portland, Oregon. Ryan, it's Thursday night, November the 21st. We're a week away from Thanksgiving. How are you doing? Uh, I am excellent, my friend. I know that you had a uh, collegiate football trip over the weekend that I'm excited to hear about. I believe we're going to get to that, but how are you doing? I'm doing well. You are right. I went to uh, Starkville, Mississippi by way of Birmingham, Alabama. It was really a great trip, obviously, other than to his injury. We're going to get into all of that, right. um, but I'll save all of that. But uh, I'm doing good, man. I'm feeling the holiday spirit, as I said, a week away uh, from Thanksgiving. I'm feeling it. it's coming up. My kids are off school all week next week, so I'm looking forward to all of that. But we've got a little bit to do before we get there work-wise and otherwise. But why don't you start us off? Uh, I know football is on our minds here as we watch the Texans and Colts wind down. It looks like Deshaun Watson did uh, that looks like a fumble. football, and that's going to give the Colts a chance to tie or win the game. We'll, we'll kind of watch this as we continue. But you want to start off in the NBA, specifically in La La Land. Is that right? That's right, and I haven't uh, I haven't been all in on an NBA basketball yet. But as it started to come into full swing, and up here in Portland, it's the only professional sports franchise in the area, uh, the Portland Trailblazers, who are struggling mightily, by the way. Um, but it is uh, I have started watching a little bit more ball, and I thought that the Clippers were eventually going to be good. And I thought that the Lakers had the talent to probably be good, but maybe with all with the just the kind of drama and the media circus and things like that that follow LeBron and Anthony Davis and, and really everything that goes on in LA that that might not totally come together. And uh, so far, I'm I was wrong on both counts because both teams look outstanding out of the gates, and uh, I just I didn't think either of them would be this good this quickly. And uh, they look like the new forces to be reckoned with. In the Western Conference, I've been really impressed watching both teams play. I thought that the Celtics uh, looked like they had that game against the Clippers in hand last night, but just a, a torrid run by the Clips in the fourth quarter forced overtime, and they they managed um, to get away with the win there. And then just the Lakers on the other side, I believe, were out to the best record in the NBA, if not one of the best records in the NBA. And uh, LeBron has just been a, a triple-double machine. He just... A couple nights ago, became the first player ever to record a triple-double against every NBA franchise. Anthony Davis is putting up big numbers. They seem like they're managing his health okay so far. Uh, they're getting a little bit more now out of Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma. And uh, suddenly, they're the force that I think on paper people thought they were going to be. And I thought too many new parts, too much drama, too much attention, really for maybe both situations and both for their own reasons – look really good. And, uh, you know, there's plenty of time for both or either team to get derailed. But uh, I thought we were maybe going to see uh, teams like the Nuggets or uh, or maybe the Jazz or um, some other Western Conference teams kind of sneak up into the top as the L.A. teams were figuring it out. And, and that hasn't happened as the L.A. teams have, have kind of surged there. Yeah, you look at the... Uh future odds on the odds to win the NBA championship and the Clippers and Lakers are both at the very top. They're the odds on favorites at five to two each on uh on Vegas Insider. I know if you like on my online book, I think the Lakers are actually a slight favorite even above the Clippers right now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's for two reasons. One, uh, LeBron mainly. Um, he has seemed to have found the fountain of youth. And the other, like you said, they have the best record in the NBA. They're 12-2 and two right now. And then a third reason is they have the best defense in the NBA right now. They're allowing just a shade over 101 points a game, which is the best in the NBA. Uh, the Clippers are right behind them at 106.4. The Nuggets actually have the second-best record in the West and the second-best defense in the league. So the Nuggets have been, you know, every bit right the part that we thought they would. But I agree. I mean, the Clippers didn't have Paul George to start the season. He's back now, his first two games back. He was great. Um, you know, they're doing the load management thing big time with Kawhi. He's not playing the second end of the backs-to-backs. So far, the Lakers haven't been resting LeBron or Davis much, uh, unless they have to. Davis has had a few bumps and bruises here and there, but he's been playing for the most part. But I'm with you. I mean, right now, these are the two favorites to meet um, in the in the Western Conference Finals, should they stay yep. healthy. Uh, again, I think the Nuggets are going to have something to say about that. There's some other teams out there lurking. The Rockets have been really good. I think they had won eight in a row before they lost yep. on the road last night. James Harden's been great. And then Dallas, Luka Doncic has been amazing as Man, well. He uh, has been incredible. I think he's got triple doubles in half their games this year, and he, he put up a 35-point a triple double in 25 minutes against the Warriors the other night. He did. And the game before that, I think it was, he put up a 40-point triple double, becoming only the second 20-year-old. Yeah, 42. And what, what did you say? Yeah, 42. I think he had, like, what, 42, 12, and 11 or something like that? Something Uh, like that, yeah. Yeah, and he became the second 20-year-old in the history of the NBA to record a 40-point triple-double, the first being Bron Bron. So, pretty good company. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah. I haven't really watched a ton. I I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm following it. I'm reading about it. But I haven't really gotten to the point now – where I sit down and watch a lot of games, and I probably won't really until football season's over. Um, and then in the East, you know, the East is exciting. You've got the Bucks at twelve and three, as everyone thought they would be. The Celtics are really good at eleven and three. I watched them play in Mississippi on Friday night against the Warriors. It was a really good game. And then the Heat and Raptors are, are rounding out the top four with the Sixers right behind them. So I think you've got a pretty solid top five there in the East, but. To your point, uh, L.A. basketball, probably the best collectively it's ever been with the Clippers and Lakers. I don't know if there's ever been a time where both franchises have been this good. Uh, So good for them. You know, somebody had to take the mantle once Durant left the Warriors and then once Curry got hurt early into the season this year. So uh, it looks like the Clippers and Lakers, at least in the West, along with the Nuggets, are taking that mantle here in the early going. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like I said, it's not so much that I'm surprised that they are putting it together. It's how quickly they're putting it together. Totally. And and again, uh, they're both doing it. I think that the thing that makes you feel good about both teams chances is the fact that they've got guys, the, the best player on each team, LeBron and Kawhi, who have obviously won multiple championships before, but also defensively. I think that both teams are doing it on the defensive end as much as they are on the offensive end. And I think that bodes well when we get into the playoffs, which isn't going to be until a few years from now um, in basketball terms. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a ways out. Yeah, it's a long way out. But uh, good, good of the week. For my good of the week, I'm going to hit on three football topics, and I'm going to start 
with college football. Um, we have two weekends left now of the regular season, which is hard to believe. Quite honestly, it's a little bit sad. Uh, really, you have three full weekends with Championship Saturday coming up on December the 7th. But with the playoff rankings, Ryan, I think it's a real double-edged sword, how they do this Tuesday night show where they reveal the rankings. Yep. Um, I think it's really good for generating discussion and interest in the sport. But fans just go totally overboard with it, and I don't want to focus mm -hmm. too much on that. Uh, I just think that we have 10 teams, really. Um, you, you could say that teams outside the top 10, uh, Minnesota's 10th. I would give Baylor a puncher's chance sitting there at 14 of getting in the playoff, but they would have to have a lot of things go their way. But basically the top 10, I feel like, you know, they either all have no losses or one loss. And basically mm -hmm. those 10 teams, not so much control their own destiny, but they are all very much in this playoff hunt now with three weeks to go. And I think that's exciting. I think it's exciting that you have 10, maybe 11 teams in it. And really, if you're one of those 10 teams, or if you're a fan of one of those 10 teams, all you need to know is, is you need to keep winning, right? And then root for a few other certain teams to lose. I mean, if you're LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, or I guess Georgia, I'd say those are the four teams. They're the top four. They're the four that undoubtedly control their own destiny. If they win out, they're going to all probably get in. If you're one of those teams on the outside looking in, you need one of those teams, if not more than one of those teams, to lose. But you also know you got to keep winning. I mean, if you're a fan of Oregon or Utah or Penn State or Oklahoma or Alabama or Minnesota, you got to keep winning. And I, it just amazes me how much debate you see, whether it's on TV or podcasts or on the Internet, about, you know, if these scenarios happen and this and that and the other. To me, that's completely misguided. It's a waste of time. Just enjoy it where you're at, watch the games, and root for your team to win because you got to keep winning if you're one of these teams. So that, that's my first good of the week. What, what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I think that the – I think, unfortunately, I, I don't want to say the model is is broken, but I just – I don't feel like four is the right number. I don't really feel like it ever has been. I think that two wasn't necessarily either. Uh, I don't know – I think that eight or even six probably is, but I, I mean, I don't think, I think it's going to be really rough if the committee is in a situation where they have to choose between Alabama over Oregon or Utah, depending on whoever wins the Pac-12 championship game, if either of those teams were to run the table. Or, um, you know, let's say Baylor avenges their loss to Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game um, or something like that. But but it, it seems like there are there are too many power conferences, not enough spots. And what we're left with is a situation where someone's going to be rightfully frustrated at, at how and why they're left out of um, left out of the picture. And so I think that there are a lot there. There's still so much to be determined and so much to be decided. And I think to think that the hay is in the barn at this point, it would be foolish. But. Um, with the way things are stacking up right now, it's stacking up for what appears to be a potential controversy. And uh, I just I would love to see an expansion, at least of just one more round, where maybe you give the top two teams buys, and then you give th uh, three through six a fourteen playoff. Or maybe you just go to eight and you host. Uh, I know we floated it before here, but you, you have the first game 
uh, hosted at campus sites rather than being at a neutral site. And so the top four seeds still matter because those teams all get a home game for their first playoff game. But I, I would I would just love to see there be a little bit more opportunity because this year, and uh, you know I, I've talked with a, a few people about it on the radio, um, an ESPN.com writer, a, a Fox College football analyst, uh, they think it would it sets a really tough precedent if either Oregon or Utah wins out their schedule, uh, especially Oregon, who who would potentially win ten conference games and only have lost the first game of the year to Auburn, um, and that was one of the stronger scheduling plays that any team, any major team in the country made as far as putting someone legitimate on their out of conference schedule uh, to see them lose that game and then win what would be twelve straight. And not make the playoff would be a, would be a pretty damning precedent to set for all other conferences, not just uh, you know an Oregon or Utah situation. So I, I wish that we could add a few more teams to the mix. I don't want to. I don't think it should, we should get crazy and talk about ten or sixteen or anything beyond that. But I think that four is not enough. And I think that somebody is going to get left out, feeling like they should have been left in. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you said, and I do want to sort of avoid these various scenarios and save this discussion until we really need to have it. Um, sure. But, um, you know, I just think that the system is the best it's ever been by far. I mean, I think people are, are really quick to forget how we used to not have a playoff at all, and it was way worse than it is now. Um, and I also think that if you go to eight teams, I think it takes something away from this glorious regular season. I mean, if that Alabama-LSU game a couple weeks ago would not mean nearly as much if you had an 18 playoff. But, I don't know, it would still mean a lot. So I'm I'm a little bit torn there. Um, I don't really know. I just want to wait and let it play out. You know, the Alabama versus Oregon argument, I think, is an argument, just so I can get it on the record right now. I think that if Oregon and Alabama both went out, I think that Oregon is going to go to the playoff, and I think that Oregon will deserve to go to the playoff. Um, the the only I mean, I can argue both ways though, because if Alabama goes and thumps Auburn, which that Oregon that would be the one in, scenario in, yeah. in Auburn, which which Oregon couldn't do, and you say, okay, well, both of these guys only have one loss, maybe Oregon's beat more top twenty five teams, but if the one common opponent Alabama blasted and Oregon didn't. I know you have to take into account when they happened and, and who was available and things like that, but it just creates a conundrum. It is interesting that it might come down to that. And, you know, if Alabama goes into Auburn with a backup quarterback in a completely beat-up front seven and beats them handily, then, yeah, may, maybe there is an argument. Right. Shy of, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Alabama has it in them to do that. But, you know, again... Let's say let, – let's seriously, let's not waste any more time on it until we need to. Um, the weekend after the championship games, we can dive deep into this and just kind of see where we're at. But I just think as a college football fan, I can't remember this many teams being in the mix this late in the season. Um, I agree. And, and yeah. I just think it's really fun and exciting. I think it's great, and I think that the college football playoff is kind of doing its job here. And – and, and that's honestly how I feel about it. But I'm also excited for two big games on Sunday, NFL Sunday. You've got the Cowboys going into Foxborough to face the Patriots mm-hmm. on uh, Sunday afternoon. And then on Sunday night, you've got the Packers coming out to Levi's Stadium 
to play the Niners. I mean, those are both very marquee games. Also, earlier on Sunday, you've got Seattle going to Philly. That's an, also a big game. And the NFL, for me, Ryan, right now is really hitting its stride. Uh, yeah. I, I'm really locked in. I'm really enjoying it. This game tonight in the AFC South that Houston just won by three. That was a good game. I mean, even on Monday night, you've got Baltimore and the Rams. That's a pretty good game. I just think the NFL, you know, same as college football, man. I mean, we talk about football all year. The season starts and we're so excited. But this is really, we're getting down to it. And I think it's been a really good season. But I think the best part of the season on both on both the college and pro side, I think the best games are still ahead of us. And I think that's really exciting and I'm just trying to watch as much as I can and soak it up and, and enjoy it as much as I can. But those games on Sunday are going to be great. Yeah, they are. And I believe I, I, I heard a stat that uh, for the first time uh, this late in the season, each primetime game features six winning teams, uh, teams with winning records. That would be tonight's Thursday night game, the uh, Sunday night game between the Niners and Packers, and then the Monday night game between the uh, Rams and Ravens. So the schedule is, uh, is stacking up nicely. I'll get a little bit more to scheduling in my interesting of the week, yeah, but I, I agree. I think that I think that you've got uh, you've got some really exciting matchups this weekend specifically that. I think is going to tell us a lot about um, the teams that we think we know a lot about right now. I think that uh, there it is. It's very easy to see just based on the record and the standings who has performed the best to this point. But I think a lot of these teams are going to be tested a lot, and it's going to start this week. I, I agree. I agree. Um, let's keep it rolling. What's your bat of the week? My bat of the week is is actually going to stay in the NFL, and has nothing to do with the uh, the competition, the playoff picture, the quality of the games, but. Just feels like the NFL has a has a big black PR cloud looming over it, and uh, and it just it what seems else is like ev- <clears throat> every day though it feels and and now it's you know I know that it's just part of the twenty four hour news cycle and and, and, it, and it's the kind of coverage society that we live in now, but there is so much shit that is just out there every day about um, what's going on in the league and 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 I mean. We've had to hear for a week about this Miles Garrett, Mason Rudolph helmet swinging incident, and rightfully so. It was video that is was, was pretty appalling when you for the just the, the common fan watching idly by seeing this you know behemoth man just swinging a blunt object at another man's exposed head. That's uh, <laughs> not very common. But um, now there's the situation about how they how they handle it all Garrett was suspended indefinitely and at least for the rest of the season well now he's come out uh, and when he went to his appeal today which by the way his appeal was denied his his punishment upheld but apparently in his in his appeal he alleged that uh, Mason Rudolph used a racist slur against him which then caused uh, Rudolph's attorney to fire off a statement saying that it was patently false but when Rudolph was asked about it, he was said, uh, no comment. We'll have to go back and look at that or, or something somewhat conspicuous. Um, it's just an ugly situation in general. And it got me thinking that it just it's it's not even like that was only the ugliest situation, at least for that two or three day news cycle, because then Saturday we have the the huge um, politis, you know, polarizing and political event that is Colin Kaepernick's tryout for the NFL, which just came about in a really weird way, got announced in a weird way, 
the circumstances were strange, so strange that Colin Kaepernick and his representatives didn't feel good about it. So there were all these changes the day of, and there's um, basically what, whatever side you're on, um, everyone's got a beef about the way it was handled by either side. And it, it's, it's just kind of a bad, it's a bad look. It's, it, it seems like the NFL is inept in handling it. It seems like probably Kaepernick and his representatives could have handled it better too. The situation, frankly, should have never gotten to this point, but was politicized by the president of the United States and so on and so forth. And then that's not even, I, I think about the helmet swinging, which is something that happened in the heat of heat of a battle, heat of a moment, heat of a game on Thursday Night Football. I think about the Kaepernick thing, which is really about political statements more than anything else. And then I read this story yesterday or the day before that the Miami Dolphins have cut their running back Mark Walton because he's punching his pregnant girlfriend in the head repeatedly. And it's oh. like every day I turn around and there's just something awful coming out of this league. And I love watching what I see on Sundays, but for the most part, it seemed, I wish that the, the, and I think a lot of fans feel this way. I wish that the news that first of all, people could just be better. But second of all, that the news cycle aspect of it could just go away because when you magnify what the worst people are doing um, either on or off the field, it just sheds such a negative light on everything else that's going on. And I'm not trying to say sweep it under the rug and be Pollyanna about it and say like, just let me enjoy this thing. There are probably, uh, you know, alarming red flags going up with any of these issues and, and, and any myriad of other issues that come about from the league. Certainly those aren't the only three, uh, but those are just the ones that came to, came about in the last week. And it's, yeah. you look at it and you think that's only one week of the NFL season. And then there's the Antonio Brown stuff that was going on. You know, he's counter suing the woman who's, who said that, you know, he, he allegedly sexually assaulted her. I mean, that's a whole other thing that may involve mental health and, crimes and like and it's just it follows though it's it is it is part of the league it's part and parcel of what you get now and i don't know if it, if it's just a byproduct of working everybody um to the absolute extremes and maybe to their wits end at some points where they're you're squeezing so much out of a person that they kind of just can't handle the pressure that's being put on them i don't know if that's it but i do know that people as humans when they are feeling stressed in their work life they take it out other places and it seems like that's happening here so i mean i don't know there's anything to be done about it but it was just such an ugly news week for the league when the play is so good right now it's disheartening yeah i mean i just got done talking about about or we just got done talking about all these great games that we saw not only tonight but coming up um but you're right i mean there is a lot of negativity and each one is sort of its own thing i guess there's you know, I, I look at it like this too, Ryan. I mean, if there was 30 million people and a bunch of media covering our office at NBC Sports back in the day, uh, I don't think they'd love to see a lot of the things that they would see there either. Um, and, you know, I think the same can be said of a lot of offices. If there was media scrutiny on a lot of offices around this country the way there is on the NFL, it would probably be equally negative to some degree. Yeah. Um, that's fair. And I just think that that's sort of the byproduct, as you say, of a stressful work environment, which the and NFL... just a constant microscope. It's constant microscope. And, you know, at the end of the day, all these characters that are involved are just trying to play their best and win football games under very physically and mentally stressful situations. So it's really not surprising to me that things go awry, either on or off right. the field. But it is disheartening. 
Um, the Kaepernick thing was the one that stood out to me the most the past week. It's really kind of hard to follow everything that happened. I mean, I think I was, like many, uh, surprised when I even saw that this private workout was going to take place at all. And that's probably yeah. the, the thing that I, that I look at the most in all of that is why now? Why, what the, the timing of it is very weird to do. You know, you're almost yep. all the way through this season. So who is really interested in bringing on Kaepernick now? The only teams that probably have any interest at all are playoff teams that might need a backup quarterback. And are they really willing to bring on the sort of circus-like atmosphere at this point into their facility that's going to come with it just to sign him? Probably not. And then if probably if not, but even even if they were, the whole thing that the NFL announces on a Tuesday that there's going to be a tryout yeah. in season on a Saturday, yeah. the day before everyone's games, and Kaepernick's representatives say, "Listen, we've been in the NFL, we know how this goes. Make it on a Tuesday when a representative from every team could be there." But yeah. you essentially take out at least half by just the people who are traveling. Um, it, it's the whole thing is very bizarre, and there are a lot of layers of bizarre. Yeah, to it. and a lot of the scouts are at college games on Saturday. Saturdays, yes. This time of year. <laughs> yeah, that too. So, so the timing of it to have it at this point in the season, to have it on a Saturday, and then to have it five, four or five days after you announce it, all reeked of it. it all sent up red flags for for pretty much everybody. Mm -hmm. And then you had the sort of nuances of the waiver and where it was going to take place, and who was going to be allowed in, and who, what cameras were going to be in or, or not. And it all just seemed uh, to be controversial really it, it didn't really mm -hmm. seem to solve anything uh it, it, in any if anything it seemed to fit to fan a fire that i think most people thought was basically out um you know i think it's a shame that kaepernick lost his job three years ago basically because he decided to take a, a stance um in a free country that he had every right to do but um i think that the nfl owners running a private business each of them also have a right to decide who they want to employ. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I see all sides of and that. And honestly, a level to it, Michael, that I think that I, 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 I hear people say isn't a factor because of the, the rights involved. But at the time, also, Kaepernick was playing the worst football of his career. So I think there's a super interesting element about how, I mean, if he were performing at the level that he was when he brought them to the Super Bowl, would anyone have had a problem? And, and I, was it... What did his play essentially allow them to jettison him the way that they did? And would they have been able to keep him away if he was playing like a top five quarterback? Yeah. And, and yeah. And, but it happened so long ago. It's like hard for me to even mm -hmm. remember exactly how he was playing at that point. I mean, the video I saw yeah. of the workout, he looked good. But again, why couldn't we have this workout in? February or March, so that if a team wanted right. to sign him, they could bring him into minicamp. You know, the protest. And I think the reason is because the NFL thinks this is the easiest way to appease the situation and make it go away make it without go. anything consequential happening. They, this yeah. is they think this is the scenario that makes it most likely for no one to sign him, and they try to create those circumstances. But it also is a scenario that allows them to say, "Look, we tried. We gave him his chance." Yeah, and then he had to sort of handle the PR side of things. And I didn't think Ex that was great. Expertly, personally. no, no, I don't think anybody thinks that that was great. Um, but really, you know, you could make the argument that he didn't, he shouldn't have to handle the PR 
side of things well. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to think of it anymore. It's just a big pile of mess, honestly, more, more mm-hmm. than anything else. And it's a shame that it's had to come to this. But here we are in America in 2019. And I guess that's really all you can <laughs> You want to hit me with your bat of the week? I'm going to hit you with my bat of the week. Um, my bat of the week is Tua Tagovailoa's uh, season and probably college yeah. career ending. Um, and it happened on mm-hmm. Saturday with about three minutes to play in the second quarter at a game that I was at, Alabama at Mississippi State. And the whole thing just sucks. Um, you know, I think I said, I don't think I said, I know I said on this podcast last year when Tua was probably 9-0 and or something like that, I thought, I said I thought he was the best college quarterback I had ever seen. Um, I'm not sure if I still feel that way, but I think he's damn close. And I know one thing, he's the best quarterback Alabama has ever had, certainly in my lifetime, probably ever. And I think that over the 35 years of me watching Alabama football really closely, I think he's the best Alabama player that I've ever seen. And I think that's saying a lot. They've had a it's lot a of really of good players. Yeah, he's just yeah. Uh, he's just a special. You know, I obviously I don't know him, but everybody seems to talk about what a positive person he is, what a positive leader he is. Aside from all the the great things he can do on the field, he's just amazing off the field as well. It sure seems he's just a born leader, and it just sucks to see him go down like this. I mean, he's had multiple yeah. injuries the last two years. It's crazy to me that this great talent is not even going to really play one full season of college football. I mean, he was hurt in the SEC championship game last year. Jalen Hurts had to come in and replace him in a heroic effort. But it's just crazy to think that his biggest and brightest shiny moment was really the first time we ever saw him play. I mean, he he rode the bench his entire freshman year. Uh, We saw him in backup duty a little bit and saw the flashes of brilliance there. But Saban makes the the gutsy call at halftime of the championship game against Georgia to go to the bench and bench the reigning SEC player of the year in Jalen Hurts. He brings in the true freshman in Tua. Alabama had nothing going offensively to that point. Tua comes in with a bunch of then true freshman wide receivers and a true freshman running back and basically lights it up and throws a walk-off second and 26 Mm -hmm. bomb down the left seam to win the national championship. I mean, you can make the argument it's the most dramatic play in the history of college football. I mean, there's never been a walk-off touchdown pass in overtime to win a national championship. Two is the architect of that. So we we thought that we were going to see so much more. We saw a lot. I mean, he led his team to an undefeated regular season last year. Then he he gets beat in the championship game against Clemson. He had him rolling big time again this year. They were the number one team in the country. He gets hurt two games before the showdown against LSU. He obviously, he guts it out against LSU, had a really good game, not a great game, the two turnovers that we've detailed. And then, you know, I'll say this. um, I got to the game really early on Saturday morning. It was an 11 a.m. kickoff in Mississippi, so I didn't want to, wasn't feeling really like too much tailgating. Uh, So me and my my friend got in there early to, to watch Tua warm up, and we got there he was out on the field in just his warm-ups with the whole medical staff watching him. And I thought he looked really good, and, and I felt like yeah. they were going to play him. And then, you know, I watched him really closely when he came out for regular warm-ups in his uniform with the team. I thought he looked even better 
And then, obviously, I watched him play there in the first half. And, Ryan, I'm telling you, from where I sit, he looked great. He looked 100%. Mm-hmm. He wasn't wearing any sort of sleeve <clears throat> on that right ankle as he was against LSU. He looked like his normal great self. And then it all just ended on a play where he's rolling to his left, trying to extend the play. Two guys take him down. It didn't look like that hard of a hit. His helmet fell off. I thought maybe he had a concussion. Turns out he broke his nose, but now we find out he suffered a dislocated hip and there was maybe some sort of fracture in there that they had to go clean up surgically uh, on Monday in Houston. We, we're we're, you know, we're going to see how he sort of rebounds from that, but I just think it sucks. It su- I, I'm sad for him, first and foremost, that he, you know, he has to go through this and now his NFL future, which before that play was a very, very, very bright future, now that's somewhat in question. But I'm just sad for me, honestly. As a fan, I'm sad for Alabama football, who, which I love, to not have this great talent under center anymore. I feel like we've been kind of robbed of seeing this generational talent play college football anymore. And I just hope that he gets better so I can see him play in the pros. He deserves to have a good pro career. Uh, and I think we as football fans deserve to see him try to become the best he can be because I think his ceiling is – I think he's got a Canton Hall of Fame ceiling if he can stay healthy. Obviously, at this point, that's a really big if, but uh, I just love him. I love watching him play. I love everything about him, and I'm really, I'm really, really sad that he suffered this injury. I am. Yeah, it's a huge bummer, and honestly, <clears throat> excuse me, it's one of the it's one of the toughest things just about the sport in general that it, at times – luck is is what it allows someone to thrive or not and and their good luck or good fortune of being able to stay healthy and, uh you know he has all the makings and certainly um there have been enough people who have touted it um whether they're fans like yourself whether they're um top analysts and people who've played the quarterback back position that say he's a generational type player um it does it just sucks it does suck and i've i have been down this road before as a fan uh and you know Oregon has never had the collection of talent to fall back on that Alabama has. But I remember going through a similar thing in 2007 with Dennis Dixon. He was most certainly en route to winning the Heisman Trophy. And Oregon just had it absolutely humming on all cylinders. And uh, and he tore his ACL on a non-contact play on a Thursday night in Arizona uh, in early November. And the whole thing and the whole season just fell apart. And I, I don't think the whole season is going to fall apart for Alabama, but what was so disheartening about it is the, the, the amount of joy that he brings, that, that that individual brings their teammates, their fans, the university, um, football fans in general. And when, when you're seeing an athlete like that playing at a level like that, it does at times feel like a privilege. And, and then to, to have that taken uh, because of something that no one's really at fault for that. Uh, that wasn't, you know, necessarily that isn't a decision where there's you could you could point a finger. And that's another thing I'll say. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But it's it, it just it's just a bummer when it's something that feels like just bad dumb luck. And uh, the other thing that I, that I really can't stand about what was happening on Saturday, at least on on social media, is all, all the people clamoring or or essentially pointing the finger at Nick Saban saying yes. he shouldn't have been should have been in the game. And yes, I want to talk listen, about this. Listen, I understand that anybody in in hindsight can say what would have been the right thing. It was the first half of a league game. 
Let, let's a let's divisional pump the game. on yeah a divisional league game and and honestly and the part that pisses me off about it, Michael, is that the same people that are saying that he shouldn't be playing are pro are, are has a, if you had a Venn diagram there would be a lot of overlap of the same people who are saying that that uh, load management in the NBA is a crock of shit. Well, do you want people to protect the athletes or don't you? And and there is everyone from their college has the best idea of what the exact amount of activity is right for every individual athlete and none of those people know jack <laughs> nick saban and that training staff know more about tua than anybody else at home and to and to say that you know that decision is on saban or whatever is stupid it's patently stupid and i don't i i, I hate that there's even this other narrative of whether he should or should have been playing because he's a football player and he was out there playing football in the first half of a football game. Totally agree with everything you said. And I tweeted about this. You know, I got back to my room after the game, and, and I hadn't looked at Twitter at all since Tua mm -hmm. had gotten hurt. And I looked at it, and I, I was just shocked at exactly yeah. what you're saying. And it seemed like there were two schools. There was one that said he shouldn't have played at all because, you know, he had the hurt ankle against LSU, and they should rest him until the Auburn game. And then there was the other school that said, you know, they were up 35-7 to seven and, and Saban should have taken him out. I disagree with both. Yeah. Um, as, I, as I detailed, I was in the stadium an hour and a half before kickoff expressly to watch this guy warm up and to see him as much as I could because I'd come a long way and I love him and I, honestly I just wanted to watch him as much as I could, but I also wanted to see if he was healthy enough to play. And I'm telling you, he was healthy enough to play. He looked great. So if you're healthy enough to play, you play. You're a football player, you play. It's a divisional game on the road, you play. And not to mention, they're fifth in the playoff standings. They got to win out, and they got to do so as impressively as they can. And the best way for them to do that is to play their best players, and he's certainly their best quarterback. So players play. If you're healthy, you play. I mean, he's only yeah. going to be in college for three years. He didn't play pretty much at all his freshman year. He was hurt some last year. He's been hurt some this year. It's his only trip to play uh, one of their biggest rivals, well, which is 75 miles from their campus in Mississippi State. I don't care that Mississippi State isn't LSU. It's a divisional game. It's a rivalry game. You're trying to make the playoffs. You play. If and there's, you're healthy, you, know, you there's play. Risk there's risk on every play, yeah. but these seasons are short. There aren't that. I mean, it's not you the can't, NBA. You can't start. You can't start. Exactly. And that's my point. You can't start picking and choosing your spots in college football. There aren't 82 games where you could do that and say, ah, eh, schedule's not stacking up great here. This guy could probably use rest here. You got 12 of them. You got 12 of them on the schedule and you need to go win all of them by as much as you can. 100%. And, and then the argument that Saban should have taken him out when they're up 35-7, I totally disagree. He was playing great. He looked great. Everything was going well. Saban said he was probably taking him out after the half. And honestly, I don't really buy Saban there anyway. Because if I have one criticism of Saban, Saban plays all of his starters too long in a lot of these blowout games, in my opinion. I mean, he had the defensive starters in there till about four minutes left in the game, and he lost three starting defensive linemen during the game, and he was still playing the starters. And, and I disagree with that. But Mario Cristobal does this every week, and it drives me absolutely insane. Justin Herbert 
Justin Herbert was in with four minutes to yeah, go and in Dave a 34-6 blowout game. Too. Ridiculous. Yeah. Anyways. It, it, it is tough, but you know what? As you said, they know a hell of a lot more about their team and what's going on than I do. And in the case of Nick Saban, who the hell am I or who the hell is anyone to anyone, argue with Nick yeah. Saban? Okay? <laughs> he, he's right. the greatest coach in the history yeah. of the sport. He's won five national championships at this school. He walks on water, as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, yeah. whatever he wants, basically, as far as who plays and who doesn't, I'm good with. I can disagree with it. I can be uptight and nervous. But he's the coach of the team, and I certainly respect that. So I just disagree with all of these people who are, mm-hmm. it's just hindsight is twenty twenty. Don't give me any of that. It's noise. Football players, if they're healthy, they play football. End of story. Move on. I hate that Tua got hurt. It sucks. We're moving on. What's your interesting of the week? Uh, My interesting of the week is the NFL remaining schedules. And really, um, I started to take a deeper look into this today. It was something that was spurred uh, comments on the radio show that made me consider it uh, more. And I started looking into it. And really, what's interesting to me is that if you go to really any contender in the National Football League, that you think is in a is in a great spot, and a lot of them are and will continue to be in great spots. But a lot of these teams have so many tests ahead of them that I'm not sure we know as much about these teams as we think we do. And the next few weeks, I think, are really going to reveal a lot. And so, you know, I don't want to just hop around and start listing a bunch of schedules, but I do know that the 49ers, who are obviously at 9-1 and one now on the season and with their only loss coming in that uh, Monday night game to Seattle, is uh, the, the 49ers are in a spot where I believe that their schedule is the toughest three-game stretch this late in the season in NFL history yeah. in that they play three eight-and-two teams back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. And uh, that starts – or, or eight-and-two or better – Teams and that starts with uh, the that starts with the Packers this week, and then they go to Baltimore, and then I'm trying to remember who they have after that. Uh, let me pull it up. Let's see their schedule. The Niners' schedule is is ridiculous, and, and it's not even so. They host the Packers, then they go to Baltimore, they go to New Orleans. They do have Atlanta at home, which a couple weeks ago looked like an easy win, but now Atlanta is is suddenly resurgent after the bye. Then they have the Rams, and then they're at Seattle. I mean, oh. six, five, five of those six games are ridiculously tough. But it's not, it's not like it's just the Niners who are not. I'm not going to say going to fall off. But you look at a team like the Ravens, who right now are, are kind of the, um, you know, the, the, the Cats, PJs, and the AFC. Their remaining schedule is tough. This week they're going to Los Angeles. Then they've got the Niners. Then they're at Buffalo. That's not an easy game. They go to, to Cleveland late in the season, which. Cleveland's not a world beater this year, but they've had enough collection of talent to make that game dangerous. And, oh, by the way, Cleveland already smacked Baltimore this year, earlier in the year. And then you got a divisional game against Pittsburgh. So their road is certainly easier than the 49ers. But you could do this with almost all of them. And it feels like part of the reason that the teams who have the best records have the best records is because their schedules have been front-loaded with the easier games and not intentionally so by the league or anything. I'm not saying that that was, you know, by, by design, but there's a reason that the good teams are record wise are good. It's because they've been playing some cupcakes. And I think for all of them, it's going to get a lot tougher. I'm really excited 
to see kind of to see things confirmed that we thought we knew or to see things completely blown up that we that we were are caught off guard or surprised by yeah i mean the patriots have had a who have the best record in the league along with the niners uh, have had a pretty easy schedule also obviously they play in a much weaker division than the niners but obviously we talked about it before they've got a tough one against dallas uh you know the nfc then they go yeah who who do they have after that then they go to Houston, a division leader, not an easy game. Then they have the Kansas City Chiefs. They have them at home, but they can score on any given night. They go to the Bengals, whatever. They play the Bills again, which it's a divisional game, and the Bills are a lot better than they've been in the past, and they have the Dolphins. But, I mean, there's there's at least – I mean, the, their next three, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, that's no that's no easy task. No, it's about as tough as it gets, really, without playing yeah. the Niners and the, and the Packers. So, yeah, it's going to be great, And man. the Packers might – the Packers might be the team that has it the easiest the rest of the way. They they could be they're already in a position for a first round bye, but they after San Francisco, they've got the Giants, the Redskins, the Bears, then they do go to Minnesota and they've got the Lions after that. So uh I, I think that they are set up for the most late season success of, of really any kind of the, the division leaders at this point in time. But um, you know, it's not gonna be easy for anybody as we know. Yeah, and then the other thing we, we should mention that is Injuries. Injuries are going to happen. I mean, we just got yep. done yep. talking about Tua. Um, something like that, certainly, if one, if not more than one, uh, something like that's going to happen in the NFL, where one of these star quarterbacks is going to go down. Uh, you know, we've, we've already seen a lot of good players go out, J.J. Watt being the most notable on the defensive side, but guys are going to get hurt or suspended, like your boy uh, Miles Garrett. So, uh, a lot of things can and will happen, and it, it's going to be great. But the injury thing just totally sucks. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I want to see all of these teams play each other at full strength and let the best team win. I mean, I think, I hope I speak for most, if not all, fans when I say that. Just let's keep everybody healthy, but it's a violent sport, and guys get hurt. And it, it's just it's just part of the game, but it's a, it's a crappy part of the game. So... Uh, good yep. interesting of the week. My interesting of the week is my trip to Starkville to see Alabama play at Mississippi State. Uh, and really, Ryan, you know, we don't need to hit on everything, but it was a great, great trip. And it was the first time I'd been to an SEC road game for Alabama in quite mm-hmm. some time. Um, and I just recommend to any football fan, whether it's college or pro, going on the road to seeing your team play is a really fun... Could not agree more. It, it, it's it's the, awesome. It's some of the best times I've ever had at any sporting event, at any level, and that includes like home playoff and championship series games for my favorite team. Some of my absolute favorite experiences are going to Knoxville, going to Charlottesville, going to Dallas, uh, and places, places where the Ducks are playing non-conference games or even conference games on the road, seeing who else shows up and experiencing someone else's tailgate culture, someone else's food culture, football culture, all of it. It's awesome. It's just great. It it really is. And, you know, I think it just brings out the joys of travel in general. You know, I mean, traveling in general is fun, but then when you combine it, you know, when you're as big of a sports fan as we are, and you combine it with getting to see your favorite team play a game that means something, it's fucking awesome. It, it's just great. Yeah, and it is. The, the, the whole thing was great. You know, the travel was actually quite easy. It, it, it's Starkville is out in the middle of freaking nowhere. I mean, 
<laughs> as you might imagine, it's, you know, coming from San Francisco to Starkville, it's a long way. It's a totally different culture. It's a totally different world. But it was awesome. It was great. The travel was pretty easy, like I said, through Houston to Birmingham, then got a rental car, and then it's about a two-hour drive down, you know, some dark country roads. Uh, you go right. It's interesting because you go from Birmingham west right through Tuscaloosa, and then Starkville is exactly 75 miles west of Tuscaloosa okay. down a state highway. Uh, nothing glamorous in Starkville at all. Of all the SEC towns I've been to, it's the smallest and probably has the least to do. But in some ways, that was fun. It was a good thing. I mean, it was a really yeah. small college. Sounds a little bit like Pullman, Washington in the Pac-12, where it's like there's not a lot to do there, but that almost makes the football culture a little bit better because yeah. it's like this t- tight-knit, uh, kind of more remote thing. Yeah, and, and all the fans we ran into, all the Bulldog fans were cool. You know, I like the fact that Alabama is rivals, but not really. I mean, Alabama is much bigger hatred rivals with Auburn, uh, Tennessee, and LSU. So it was nice. You know, the fans were all nice. There was no no problems, no trash talk. I mean, they don't like Alabama beating up on them every year as, as much as anybody else does, but it was all cool. Everybody was welcoming. You know, everybody we talked to got a real kick out of the fact that we had come from California for this game. I mean, I think most people couldn't yeah. really even believe it. Um, but but it was true, and, and we had a great time. You know, Friday night, we, we got there, checked in at the hotel, um, got right down to, the, to their strip and had some great barbecue, uh, went out and had some drinks, fun times, went to bed. Uh, we actually, so the, the, it wasn't really a hotel bar, but it was the bar right adjacent to our hotel. Turns out they have a live band every single night of the year. Um, and they had a nice. uh, yeah they, they had a, a great band on Friday night that kept us out pretty late, but we got up, felt pretty good and, and wandered around, saw the tailgating scene, and then like I said, got in to the stadium pretty early uh, to watch Tua warm up. And then after the game, you know we, we went right out, watched the Georgia Auburn game, uh, you know, had some drinks, had some food, hung out, met some people. Uh, and then just kept going all night, you know, watched the LSU Ole Miss game. Then when that was over, we went to the bat, to the bar that had the bands and a band was playing while we watched Your Ducks handle Arizona. And then we, we got back to the room and watched the second half of that t- pretty terrible USC Cal game. But I mean, just ball all day on college football Saturday yep. and just, you know, nothing major happened. Obviously, going to the game was super fun. But the whole time was just great, you know, going to various bars and restaurants. I don't think I had a single vegetable um, till I. Till, <laughs> till, and I, I'm not even kidding about that. I don't no, think, I believe you. I don't think I had a single vegetable for two and a half days until I had collard greens with my barbecue at this really good barbecue place in Birmingham before we got on the plane to leave. Um, I went to Chick Fil A twice. We went to Waffle House. I think we went to three different barbecue places. And, you know, quite a few bars as well. So uh, just, again, really fun. The weather was great. You know, crisp southern November weather, beautiful sunny skies, cold at night. Um, but just all good, all good. Not, not a single bad thing to say. You know, I would go back. I would go to the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving. 
that just to go nice. to, to Starkville and, and hang out there again or, or go to really any other SEC road game that Alabama is involved in. It's super fun, and uh, I want to, you know, I, I've been to Tuscaloosa the last several years, but go, going to a road game is just as fun, if not more fun. So uh, that's my trip recap to Starkville. It was great. Outstanding, yeah. It's, it sounds like a good time and, and really – uh, kind of uh, conjures up some nostalgia in me about uh, some road trips that I've taken to see my teams uh, in, in various conferences, other places. And uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's a really cool thing to be able to experience, especially uh, with friends or with family um, and, and to be able to see, I mean, everyone knows your, your, their home environment, right? Just, but to, to be out there in a road environment that you haven't done before, it's going to be different every time. And it's almost always fantastic. So yeah, uh, I, I'm happy for you. One more thing about it that, that I think that people out there who are listening who haven't been to a big time college football game, not that Starkville's the biggest time, but it's big enough. You know, it's an SEC home game with a really passionate fan base. It's, it's always amazing to me to see, you know, 50,000 plus fans descend on this little town for a night. Yeah. I mean, it, they, it's just like, it's too much. Like these towns mostly can't really handle the crowd, but it all kind of yeah. works. Especially anyway. when their team gets good. Yeah, especially when the team gets good. But you know, Mississippi is a state, obviously, that doesn't have any big cities. And you know, Starkville is anything but a big city. It's a really small. It's a really small town. But it's just to see. You know, I guess there were 60,000 people at the game, but the bars afterwards were just packed. And, and it's fun. It's just fun to see the tents, you know, all over the campus and people tailgating and smokers and grills and just, you know, yep. these, these fans that, that live in these places that live in a state like Mississippi. I mean, this is really, uh, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way. I mean it in a complimentary way. These six home games or whatever it is or six of the very best days of the year for these fans. It's so fun. This is, Michael, this is a lot of, about how it's like at the University of Oregon without pro sports in the state other than the Blazers, which are way up north of the city. It's it's, it's a lot of the state's biggest thing that they do yeah. all year, whether that's in Corvallis or in, in, in Eugene. And certainly it's bigger in Eugene now because of the recent success. But um, it, it is, I think it's a badge of honor for a lot of those people too. They, they, they find a way to make those six Saturdays the best of the year, and it's a cool thing. It is cool. It, it, it is really cool to just see the people you know, show up at 9 a.m. for these tailgates, and like I said, they're smoking barbecue and these big black drums and, and all the rest of it, and they're hanging out there as long as the, you know, until it gets too cold, and they got the TVs. I mean, just the, tail, the tailgating culture and some of these schools, and, and just the whole thing, the pageantry, and it brings everybody together. You know, if you live in a big city and you don't, you've never really experienced it, you're missing out. It, it's just great. It's great. It's a great time. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be in Starkville on Tuesday in December, but on a Saturday for a home game in November, it's hard to beat. Uh, it really is. It's, it, 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 it was just awesome. So, Enough on that. That's my interesting of the week. Let's go in the book. Uh, you like any games on Saturday? Man, this is a tougher slate. I feel like it feels like that kind of week, that de facto week where the SEC plays a lot of their uh, yeah. There's only three opponents. actual SEC games. Yeah. So 
I, you know, it's a, it's a, t- it feels like there's, there's fewer games to pick from. I don't love a ton of them. One that does kind of jump out to me is I think Indiana is. Uh, I, I was going to say pretty, the exact same thing. I just think they're a pretty tough football team, and they're they're better than I think their reputation is. So them uh, catching nine and a half at home against Michigan, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that's an an upset brewing, but it could be. And I just I think that they can hang around, and so totally agree. Uh, I kind of like. I kind of like that one there. Um, Oklahoma State has not had a great season, but being favored by only five and a half against a not great West Virginia team uh, seems like not enough. So I, I'm inclined to lay the points with uh, Oklahoma State, but you know I, I don't I don't feel great about it. I, I do think that uh, you know last week I was half a point off on uh, or on, on Arizona covering against Oregon. Uh, I really thought that. Arizona probably should have covered that game, and uh, and I will pick against Oregon again here. I think the Ducks will win, but I think uh, gi- giving two touchdowns in Tempe uh, is too many this time of the year. I think this is when teams start to get a little bit tight, especially when they know what's on the line. Uh, so I think a victory is coming for the Ducks, but I don't think it'll be easy, and I do think it'll be close. So I like Arizona State and the 14 points there. Uh, on the other hand, I think Arizona is really bad, and Utah has it rolling, as we saw last week against UCLA. I would lay the 23 with Utah and uh, and feel pretty good about it. Um, Washington laying 14 at Colorado seems like too many, but Colorado has been really bad recently, but I will pick against the Huskies just because I'd like to, uh, beyond, beyond that, there's, there's not a lot that I feel really strong about. Um, I'm going to have to probably do a little more research, listen to a few more podcasts, things like that. Oh, you know what the other one, I, I will actually, I think I'll lay the 43 and a half with LSU. It seems like a whole hell of a lot, but Arkansas is as bad an SEC team as we've seen in a while. So uh, let's go Let's go with Tigers. Yeah, you hit on a lot of games that I was going to comment on. So I'll just say this. Um, you know, we both thought – we both picked against Oregon and Utah last week thinking that they were going to get tight. Mm-hmm. They both ended up covering. I mean, UCLA didn't even score a touchdown. Utah was incredible <laughs> in that game. You know, I just want two comments on two Pac-12 teams that I saw – watching late there in Starkville, Mississippi after a long day of ball. I thought Arizona was fucking awful. I mean, there I had not... There is bad a program, right? I mean, I think it was a huge... I think that game was a huge indictment on Kevin Sumlin. That totally team agree. is a mess. It's now, a mess. There was one moment in particular, and I hope you caught this. Uh, Arizona had the ball. I, I don't remember what the score was. They had three points towards the end of the half. It was like right at the end of the half... And I think Oregon had, you know, three touchdowns, something like that. Arizona was getting blown out. And Arizona was trying to score. And, and Khalil Tate made a play with about 50 seconds left to get him into field goal range. And the whole sideline was celebrating uh, like they had scored a touchdown. But, in fact, they had only gotten into field goal range. And they had about 45 seconds there to play with where they could have tried to score a touchdown. They would have had a few plays. I think they even had a couple timeouts left to spend as well. But no, they let the clock run down and just kicked the field goal as the half ended. And they were celebrating, you know, like they had just really accomplished something. And all they had done was score six points in the first half. And I, I just thought that was really telling to the pathetic nature of Kevin Sumlin in that program. Did, did you catch all of that? I didn't catch. I mean, I, I wasn't really as aware about that 
the kind of specifics that went into uh, that final field goal of the half. The thing that I did catch was just on the other side of the halftime break, uh, they got to delay a game on the first play of I the second that half. Too. Like that can't happen. I mean, it just it just can't. And I've you know I've seen it happen with Oregon on the first play of the game earlier this year, and I was absolutely incensed. But there's a real problem if you have 20 minutes to figure out what you're going to do next, and you can't get to the line and make that happen. Um, and then on top of it, I thought the way he handled the quarterbacks was a real head scratcher. He gives the start to the the young kid, Gannell, who is the non-mobile quarterback that, frankly, I thought was less of a matchup problem for Oregon than Khalil Tate, who torched the Ducks last year. And I know that Tate has been bad, um, or at least has been really streaky, if, if we're being nice. But um, they, they start this young kid who's a pocket passer. They give him two series. And then they go with Tate the rest of the way until it's 34-6. And then they put the starter kid back in. I'm like, I, I don't get why why you wouldn't give that kid either more time at the front end or wouldn't have just gone with Tate to begin with. But the way he manages quarterbacks and then just kind of the, the organizational flaws in the way that team runs, it's as bad as I've seen from a major program in college football. They they were terrible. And, and you they know, were Tate used to be good. And they yeah. bring in Kevin Sumlin, who's supposed to be A lot of this... people actually thought he would be better under Kevin Sumlin than he was under Rich Rod, and he's regressed Yeah, I mean, Sumlin's supposed to be this offensive genius, and, and the quarterback's taking big steps back to the point where he doesn't start the game now. I, I don't know. It, you know, if if I'm an Arizona fan, I have absolutely no, no optimism at all, as long as Kevin Sumlin's at the helm there. And then uh, there was another thing. Uh, the USC Cal game is going on, and USC's blowing them out. You know they were a six-point favorite, but USC obviously <laughs> their program not where their fans would like it. Their coach Clay Helton's probably going to get fired at the end of this year. You know, give them credit; they've hung in there. I think they're seven and four now, um, and and they and they torched Cal, and and Cal had been having a halfway decent season for them. But you know, I just felt like USC was really. You know, their players were pretty full of themselves once they got a big lead. They were turning around, talking smack to the Cal fans. I mean, talking smack to Cal fans is like <laughs> kicking the dog who has three legs. I mean, Cal yeah. is not a good program. And and there were not many people there late at night on a Saturday, you know. And, and USC players are... Are constantly talking smack to them, and then which I just thought is ridiculous. Look. It's, it's I mean, so USC. You're, you're USC. I mean, imagine the Alabama players turning around in Starkville and talking smack to Mississippi State's players. I mean, that didn't happen, but if it did, that's a joke. That's an embarrassment. I mean, USC should not be talking smack to Cal's fans. I mean, that, that's just a joke. <laughs> No. And, then, and then after the yeah. game, uh, USC's players are running around the field with that fake sword that their Trojan mascot has, <laughs> and they're, they're waving it all around. It's like, act like you've been there before, USC. Again, you're USC. You just won a game at Cal. Like, move on. It's really well, not I, that I do think that's part conference. of the problem with the program is that, like, one of the things that Pete Carroll is really great at is, like, managing a bunch of personalities it's it's what has made him successful with the Seahawks like he's had some very different players 
that are that have not worked for other teams, kind of loud, boisterous, different personalities. And at SC, with the talent you attract, you attract a lot of ego and a lot of that trash talk and a lot of that self-promotion and self-importance and self-absorption. And Pete Carroll was really good at keeping a lot of that in check. And uh, I think that has gotten away from Clay Helton, and it's gotten away from a lot of previous coaches there. But they still attract that amount of talent, and they don't know how to rein in their players. It was embarrassing. But instead of picking games, I just wanted to point those two things out. I don't know who I like yet. I'll get I'll drill down tomorrow. I do think I like Indiana, but that's almost looking like a public dog in some ways. Yeah. Uh, I did see a stat that both Michigan and Ohio State the week before they play each other, which is of course the next week, typically don't cover. Uh, everyone's going to bet on Ohio State laying the 17 at Penn State. I'm not so sure about that. I might be inclined to take Penn State. I'm not yeah, sure. as long as that number's over 17, I think I'd like the Penn State side, but you know, it's I could all I wouldn't I also wouldn't shock me if Ohio State rolled and won by 28. Yeah, and you know, another one that I would take a good hard look at is uh the Aggies of Texas A&M going to Athens to play Georgia. They're catching somewhere in the neighborhood of two touchdowns. The Aggies the Aggies are playing the toughest schedule in America. I mean, it, it's just yep. crazy, really, that they drew Georgia, um, uh, you know, on the other side of the division. Auburn's obviously played. Auburn and Texas A&M have the two toughest schedules in the country. But Texas A&M also played Clemson, and Auburn, of course, played Oregon out of conference. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think the Aggies are coming around a little bit. Uh, I don't love their offense, but I think that they can give Georgia some trouble coming off the big win that they had there uh, on Saturday in the Plains um, against Auburn. So I, I might look at taking Texas A&M as well. Uh, but you got you got your eye on any pros? Um, a couple. And so the first one I like is I like Buffalo laying four at home. That line has moved down. People are taking the points with Denver. That was five and a half. It's yeah. now four. So I kind of like to go counter to the line movement there. And I know that, um, that Denver, I guess, gave Minnesota a scare last week before they came back. But I just, I still don't think Denver's a very good football team. And I think, I think Buffalo is more well coached. I think that they have things more dialed in right now. Four makes it maybe a little bit tricky. I feel like it should be more like three, but I, I think I still like the Bills in that one. Um, for whatever reason, then this is just gut feel. I like the Jets plus three at home against the Raiders. I don't know why. Maybe it's because the Raiders didn't really dominate the Bengals last week. Um, but I just feel like the Raiders are due for a Raider-like hiccup. And I, I think that Adam Gase is not in tank mode, even though maybe that would be best for the franchise to lose out the rest of the season as they're sitting at seven, at, at, excuse me, not at seven, three, at three and seven. But uh, I think that Gase has a lot to prove. I think that every win for him is important. Uh, I would not be surprised if the Jets won that game. Oakland's never done well going east either. Um, and so that one jumps out to me a little bit. I think one team that is in tank mode and if you saw the video of Dwayne Haskins on the sideline in the Redskins game, basically pleading with his offensive line um, to just pay attention to do something. It was 
uh, it was pretty tough video to watch as far as just the disheartening nature of you feel bad for the guy. Uh, that's a team that does not care about winning right now. They already have an interim head coach in there. They're going to look to reset next year. Uh, I think the the Lions are still trying to win. I think that uh, Jeff Driscoll has been better than I thought he would be or that people maybe thought he would be. And now that line is going up. And so for that reason, I want to take – the uh, oh, excuse me, no, that, that line's going the wrong way, but even so, I like the Lions laying three and a half against the Redskins. I think they win that one by a touchdown, so okay. Um, beyond that, uh, just two more. I like the uh, I like Seattle getting a point and a half in Philly. I think that has the makings of a tough game, uh, but Seattle has a they are the one team from the West Coast that really bucks the trend of not doing well going east. Seattle surprisingly historically very good at getting wins in the Eastern Time Zone. Uh, they'll have to do that here, but I just I think they're more consistent than the Eagles are, and I think they get better quarterback play. So I think they can win that game outright. The fact they're catching points, uh, you can give them to me. And then I like the Niners laying three at home against the Packers. I think the Niners understand just how ridiculously tough their schedule is ahead of them. I think going to Baltimore and going to New Orleans these next two weeks, they'll be lucky if they can get a split. I think there's going to be a sense of urgency around this one that they're playing, and I think they find a way uh, to get the W and cover against the Packers. Uh, they're laying three. Okay. Um, you hit on the two game, two of the games, well, really the only two games that I wanted to point out. Um, I try to look for smelly lines, and when I say that, I mean – Mm-hmm. Why is this line so low or so high, depending on which by which team's perspective you want to look at? To me, the smelliest line of the week is Oakland, minus three at the Jets. If you mm-hmm. look at the records, if you look at sort of the way these teams are trending, it seems like Oakland should be favored by more. Yep. Uh, so for that reason, I like the Jets. Um, for all the reasons yeah. you said, I just feel like everyone's going to take Oakland. So give me the Jets. Uh, I feel the same exact way about the other game you talked about, Detroit at Washington. Uh, Detroit only opened as a point-and-a-half favorite on the road, so everybody thought, why is that not higher? They took the Lions. It's now up to three-and-a-half. As hard of a time as I would have betting on the Redskins, give me the Redskins. To me, that's the only side you can pick there now that that line's gone up to three-and-a-half. Yeah, that's. I just have. I have a tough time having any faith that. Uh, me, me, me too. But I do but have faith I, in I, Vegas. But I get the rationale. I do. Yep. I do yep. have I faith rationale. in Vegas. And you know, the yep. public and got over. Did you see the, how how badly the public beat the books this past weekend? Oh yeah, those those poor casinos. Yeah, those poor everyone books, feels so bad for them. <laughs> yeah, but good. But I wouldn't bet on that happening for a second straight week. No, so I'm going no. to actively look for whoever the books have this week and take those teams. That's what I'm going to do. That's probably wise. Yeah. Okay. Let's get out of the book before they charge us an extra 10% and take more of our money. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You got a wild card for us? Um, It's it's less of a wild card and more of a shout out, but our boy and a a loyal listener, Anthony Garcia, is getting married this weekend. Is that right? So, uh, yeah, I just wanted I wanted to congratulate him and his uh, his bride Lauren. Lauren we had yep. the pleasure of working with both of them at NBC Sports. Um, Anthony is as fun a coworker as I've ever had. 
um, has been a great friend to both of us as well. And anytime we don't post this podcast on a Wednesday morning, he wonders if we're skipping a week. And uh, I think he's the only person that does that. So he will text me if we don't have one of these podcasts out. Maybe our most loyal of listeners, but uh, really excited for him and for Lauren. And uh, just want to wish him uh, the best of days this weekend. Totally agree. And, you know, I got to see them both at your wedding. And I actually thought that they had already gotten married because he, he went to Vegas for the bachelor party the same weekend I went to Vegas for that uh, Life is Beautiful. And I just thought that they had already gotten married. But I guess they haven't. This is the weekend. And congratulations to Anthony Tone, as I like to call him. Mm-hmm. And I wish them nothing but all the happiness and, and health in the world. They're both really good people. I like them both. And I echo I echo your sentiment. So uh, good stuff there. And shout out to Tone and Lauren. So uh, I have a little bit of a wild card for you as we head into Thanksgiving. This will be our last show before Thanksgiving. So That's I just right. wanted to talk a little food. I think we did a pretty deep dive on Thanksgiving food last year, if I remember correctly. But mm-hmm. here's my wild card. If you could have anything to eat on Thanksgiving, what would the spread look like? Man, uh, wow. So, like, are you saying, like, if you just created create your, your own, your like, own you create your own food center Tradition holiday? is out the window. And let's mm. just say the rules were for Thanksgiving, you get to have your, I don't know, five to ten favorite items. Yeah. They don't even Man. necessarily have to go together. But what what would what would you put together for for your best meal? Whew, that that's an excellent question. Um, that that answer is has probably or would have varied over the years, and I think even a year ago at this time I would have had a different answer. But I really think that as much as I would like to kind of just go all a cart and pick like four or five of my of my very favorite dishes, I think I'd be too inclined to keep a sort of theme with it. And so uh, I think I'm going, you know, barbecue and smoked meats now that I, now that I'm about that. Now that you're a Traeger Traeger expert. I I don't don't know if I'd go that far yet, but as I may, you're uh, getting there. A a Traeger learner uh, on the, on the curve. uh, I think I would try to do something that kind of just focused around various kinds of barbecue or at least various kinds of things that I could do. Uh, that, that come out especially good smoked. So I've even learned recently about the wonders of uh, slow-cooked smoked bacon, which has been fantastic. Um, did did I would a pork like to belly last night. Uh, pull, the pulled pork shoulder is one of my very favorite things that goes on there. Um, I, I have yet to try a um, like a prime rib roast. Can I, can I interject for a second? Yeah. And I don't want to go yeah. too far off the rails. Why do you choose, or why does anybody choose, a shoulder over a butt when you're doing pulled pork? Uh, so I, this is funny. I have learned about this, that technically a a butt is pork shoulder. It's not actually from the butt. So it's, oh. it's commonly confused, but usually a, bo- a Boston butt is the... Uh, is the typical pork uh, pulled pork cut that you get, and then that is a bone-in pork shoulder. So some people just call it a pork butt, even though it's not actually a pork butt. It's a pork shoulder. Okay, great, great knowledge. Keep going. And I did not know that before before about three months ago. So I, I, I like I said, I'm on the learning curve. But okay. uh, 
but yeah, I would, I would love to try one of the things I haven't done yet. Um, I have not done any lamb. I've heard that a roasted leg of lamb in there is fantastic. I, I would also love to do a prime rib roast, which is good for a long, slow cook as well. So, uh, there are a lot of smoked meat options that would be good holiday meats. Haven't done a smoked ham either. And I love ham as maybe as much as I do, uh, turkey. So I, I think that it, I would have to do some smoked meat extravaganza um, and probably go in that direction. But if you'd asked me a year ago, I probably would have been all over the map with things like uh, gourmet deli sandwiches, some sushi, uh, potentially some ramen, yeah. uh, definitely some, I think some chicken wings would be in there and uh, probably cheesecake for dessert. If you're going the uh, all a cart route. All right. All good stuff. I mean, for me, as I've detailed before, I, I, I don't want this to sound wrong. I love the traditional Thanksgiving spread. <laughs> but aside from the turkey, I could probably do without all of the side dishes. I mean, I do like stuffing. I like the gravy. Uh, the mashed potatoes are nice. But it's not my favorite. I mean, if we were really mm -hmm. talking about my favorite, I would keep the turkey. I would love to have a smoked turkey, which I'm not going to get. But I would love to have it. Um, and I think I would, I would, you know, I think I would just kind of be like yours, a bunch of smoked meats, but also some seafood in there. I think I'd love to yeah. have some yeah. raw oysters, maybe some sushi. Ooh, a raw, raw bar. Yeah. Raw bar to start the night. Yeah. yeah some, some like cocktail shrimp, uh, mm -hmm. some, maybe some crack crab, which we've talked about. We, we love to have around Christmas time, yep. but I, I would still be more than okay with that over Thanksgiving. Um, yeah. And then, you know the other thing that I like to have, just in general, but also at Thanksgiving, and I'll probably do this on Thursday at, at my in-laws, is I like to start things off with a nice charcuterie plate. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some salami, some prosciutto. Building and making those, yeah. and uh, we, will, we will definitely have one. In Cheese and olives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I follow this one Instagram account that's basically nothing but charcuterie plates. Nice. It's really good. I'm going to need the name of that account so that uh, I think my it's wife called VJ Wine. It's like wine and charcuterie spreads. Okay. It's amazing. Right. I mean, you know, <laughs> Instagram, it, it can be pretty cool. But, uh, you know, and that, and then what else? You know, maybe like again. I know you're not, a, and so I, I know you're not a huge sweets guy. If you were doing a dessert, what would it be? What, like, like, do you have a go-to? Hard to say. Um, I really don't eat any sweets, but yeah, you know what I've always liked, and I, I may have talked about this before. A warm chocolate chip cookie. Yeah, well, the chocolate chip cookie cake that you used oh. to get in the mall. You don't see that much. Yeah, yeah, I know, I, know I, know, I know exactly what you're talking about, though. Those things are pretty damn good, particularly you warm them up <laughs> in the microwave. Pretty strong. And, you know, you can get the personalized, like, happy birthday to whoever or whatever. That's pretty good. If I, I guess if I had to go one sweet, that's what I would go with. But uh, that's enough. Um, I've got two questions for you that we probably should have even talked about off the air, but let's just talk about it on the air. Two things. Sure. Uh, you want to do a show on Tuesday before Thanksgiving? Um, maybe. I My in-laws <laughs> are coming into town that night, so I don't know if that's going to be possible. It depends. Maybe we should just, maybe we should take Thanksgiving week off. I think that's probably wise. Okay. Let's take Thanksgiving. Just because I probably I probably won't know. Uh, we won't we won't be able days, to preview yeah. 
the Civil War or the Iron Bowl or any of those other great games, but that's okay. We can, we can recap and then preview uh, Championship Saturday. And that brings me to my next question, uh, Championship Friday. Is there any chance of you coming down for the, a possible Ducks-Utes battle? I think that is probably unlikely, as I would I would likely have responsibilities back in our radio studios for that one, as we do the post and pregame radio coverage for all Oregon Duck games. But that would be something I would look into. I haven't even been. This is gonna. I don't know if this is gonna blow your mind or not. I have not been back to the Bay Area since I moved to Oregon, not once. Um, and I, I would love to make the trip for that sole purpose. I I think it is. Probably unlikely at this point, but not out of the question. Well, okay. Well, my wife and kids are actually going out of town that weekend, so you could conceivably uh. stay with me, and I, I would even entertain going down to Levi's with you if, if you want to go in that direction. But just, just something All to right. consider. Yeah, we, we, will, we will monitor and discuss. All right, cool. Well, have a good Thanksgiving then. Uh, hope it's great, and I'll talk to you after Thanksgiving. And a note to everybody out there, we're taking next weekend off, as you just heard. But thanks, everybody, for listening. We appreciate it. We love you. And uh, as we always say, good night, everybody. Sleep tight. Good night. Happy Turkey Day, y'all.